0: have some place to be right after this you came actually from work or heading back to that and uh, again thank you for for being here I know it's a, makes for a, a, a fast lunch but uh, one that I pray that the Lord really ministers to each and every one of us and we'll end our time in celebrating uh, communion together before we pray um, I read this this morning and it, it just was so apropos I wanted to share it with you and it said you know for every person there's going to be a last meal a last breath, and a last statement. We may know that it is our last statement, or we may not. But what we say in the end will give real insight into who we were, what we were, and what really mattered to us. And it's so, so important as we focus on the cross today, focus on what Jesus accomplished for us, and I pray that it's fresh. How many of you have known the Lord for over five years? Raise your hand. How about over 10 years? How about over 20? Over 30? Over 40? I'm starting to age people now, so I'm not going to leave it at that. Okay, we'll just, we'll just leave it there. Um, you know, I received a note from a, a pastor this morning, one of our uh, leaders within our denomination that uh, said, you know, if you're a young pastor going into this weekend, be so excited that, you know, if this is your first to get to celebrate, you know, the greatest uh, day of the church, which is Easter Sunday, it's kind of, I share all the time, it's like our Super Bowl or our World Series or whatever, you know, it is for, you know, that the world celebrates this for us is Easter is, is everything. And it's why the message, you know, for Easter is always pretty much the same. Easter changes everything. But that message never gets old. But he said, you know, some of you pastors that have been around for a while, for maybe, you know, 20 or plus, you know, years, you know, it's like dig deep, you know. And uh, and it kind of caught me off guard in that regard because the word is fresh every time, you know, that we open it. Amen. And I know he didn't mean anything like, you know, like, you know, don't let it get old to you, but it isn't old. And uh, I I pray today that, and as we do pray, that this uh, time that we have together to focus on the cross, that it would remind us, uh, as Larry was sharing just as he went into worship, that God has and always has been drawing us. uh, His love draws us to him and the message of the cross though to the world it's foolishness to those who are being saved it is the power of God unto salvation amen let's take a moment and pray father we thank you for today and I do thank you so much for these that are here and pray that you just bless this time that we have together and as we read your word that lord it would again settle on hearts that are just open to you and uh, lord though this is the we see on in, in Good Friday, we, we call it good because it was good for us. But, uh, Lord, we see the, the worst of humanity being uh, poured out upon you. But we see the glory of God. We see your love and your grace and your mercy in its fullest. And, and may it minister afresh to us today, we pray. And may you be glorified in this time that we share together as we pray. In your wonderful name and all God's people said, amen. Amen. You know, again, you can learn a lot about people when they're under stress. Have you found that to be true about yourself? You know, I share often, you know, from this pulpit that, you know, we're, our life is like a cup. And, and when that cup gets bumped, whatever's in that cup comes out, right? Garbage in, garbage. Yeah, and so you guys, you know, you know that. And here's Jesus, you know, telling us in the New Testament, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. He said, it's not what goes into a man that defiles him. It's what comes out of the man. And that's why the cross is so important because we get to see God's heart in the most stressful, you and I, we can't even comprehend it. We have talked so much about this, that there when Jesus was in the garden of Gethsemane and he's perspiring blood drops that for the first time in eternity, he's going to be separated from the father. We we can't even know the pain that he was enduring, the stress that he was under. And yet from the cross, you know, what comes out of him is something that I hope that just encourages each and every one of us today. Because if you're like me, there's times in life, you know, that even as you grow in your relationship with God, you go, you know, is his love real? I mean, yes, we see the cross. You go, but is it personal? Is his love for me? Can I really apply it to my own life? You know, and I love as we study, you know, these words that Jesus speaks from the cross that you get to see his heart as Larry mentioned. In the old testament you know that in jeremiah that he says i've drawn you you know with with a loving kindness and, and it was interesting because i had put my notes here and i love this is how the holy spirit works i i had written jeremiah twenty nine eleven, and i said you know we we quote that a lot you know it says for i know the thoughts that i think towards you says the lord thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope but in that truest sense if we read that in context he was speaking to who there it was the children of Israel who were in captivity in Babylon, right? So we can't really claim that really for us per se. We can't in a general sense, but in a specific way. It was, it was meant for a very specific people, the Jewish people. But What about me? What about you? And that's why the cross. That's why we come to this day and we think that, again, yes, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but those who are being saved, you know, this is the power of God because we look at the cross and it's there we get our answer are we truly forgiven? You know, is there hope for us? Is there life for us? And as we we look at this, we begin to understand it. Uh, in Luke chapter 23 and verse 32, we kind of get the backdrop of it. It says there were also two others uh, that were beside him. There was criminals that led with Jesus to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals on, on the right handed on the left. And so in this, Jesus makes his first statement from the cross. Like I said, he's under tremendous stress, right? He has just endured. If you've been following along this week, I've been writing each morning about the, the passion week and, and what transpired on each and every one of those days. And today being Friday, Jesus has just come from six trials. He has suffered six trials. He's had no sleep. He's been up all night. He's been beaten. He's been scourged. I mean, he has, most men, as they would say, they wouldn't even be able to survive the night. They would have just died a lesser man. But the Bible says that Jesus set his face like flint to Jerusalem. There was a purpose for why he was born into this world. There was a reason why Jesus came and lived And it was to die. He was born to die. Nothing was going to deter what he had set out to do in purchasing your salvation and mine. And so we see there in verse 34, the first statement he makes of the seven statements that he makes from the cross. He says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. So who was he talking to there? That, that's where you want to focus for a moment here. Was he talking about the Jewish Sanhedrin? Was he talking about the Roman soldiers who crucified him? Was he talking about Pilate? Was he talking about Caiaphas? Was he speaking of Peter who had denied him three times? Was he speaking of me? Was he speaking of you? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Amazing, you know, as you look at this and, and what Jesus would suffer through. He gave his life for us. I love what one commentator said, he said, when the lamb began to bleed, the lamb began to intercede. So powerful. The book of Hebrews tells us, you know, that we have a high priest who sympathizes with our weaknesses. While people were standing there at the cross, they were mocking him, they were were taunting him. Jesus is responding in the exact opposite. The exact opposite of how they are treating him. Isaiah 53, 12 is actually a fulfillment, Uh, speaks of this prophecy and Jesus fulfills it here at the cross in Isaiah 53, 12. It says, and he poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with transgressors and he bore the sin of many and made intercession for transgressors. I guess you could sum up the whole meaning here of what's taking place on the cross in John chapter three, verse 17, where it says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that... The world through him might be saved. I mean, we, we don't see Jesus calling down lightning here, right? You know, he's not calling down lightning and thunder from heaven. He's not trying to destroy his enemies. He is going to the cross to save them. What love? He's on a mission of mercy, a mission of redemption, of salvation. That phrase, for they do not know what they do, it's important. It's important that, you know, we don't just gloss over it, that we take it to heart. Because it wasn't saying that they were unaware of the evil in which they were doing. They were fully aware of the evil. They just didn't understand the implications of it. They didn't understand that this was the son of glory that they were killing. See, for the Sanhedrin, they actually, in their representation of God, they thought that they were doing God a favor by putting Jesus to death there. They were ignorant in many ways. But it was premeditated. It wasn't an act of omission. It was an act of commission there. The Apostle Paul writes it like this in 1 Corinthians 2.8. He said, "...which of none of the rulers of this age, had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." Had they really known. I mean, if they could have went one week ahead and realized after the resurrection of Jesus, they never would have put Him to death. And here's Jesus. He's praying." praying that they would be forgiven. Now, this is the thing I want you to focus in on today when you focus on the fact that we'll receive communion here in just a few moments. It's like we look at this and we go, Jesus is interceding from the cross. How do we know today that God the Father heard his prayers? And his prayer, his first one from the cross, his statement was, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And you look at this, and this to me was what was so exciting again, just to look over this again this week and to take it in and receive it for myself. We see that was immediately, right? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do because we'll know in just a moment here one of the thieves who's next to him on the cross will do what? He'll say to him, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. And that forgiveness will be immediate. And people have struggled with this theologically, right? Because Jesus will look at him and he'll say, today you'll be with me in paradise. Does God answer prayer? Amen. You look at this. You know, second, just a few moments after his death, remember the centurion who's there at the foot of the cross, he does what? He gazes up at Jesus who's been crucified. And what does he say? He said, surely this was the Son of God. And he placed his belief in Christ. Immediate. Immediate prayer. And then you go from there and you think about Uh, Again, the third, maybe, in this, the day of Pentecost. It says those that believe came together. And those who didn't believe, as they were confronted with the gospel, many of the religious Jews, it says they came to believe, and the Bible tells us how many souls were added to the church that day. 3,000. The prayer of Jesus from the cross, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. Go ahead in Acts chapter 6. And you begin to see again some of the religious leaders. And the priests who had been there. And who would called for the crucifixion of Jesus. Had come to the realization through the preaching ministry of Peter. That they were in error. And they repented of their sin. And they turned to God and they found forgiveness of their sin. Does it end there? And you go no. Think about you know. In the book of Romans, it tells us in Romans chapter 10, verses 11 through 13, it says, For the scripture says, whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord overall is rich to who? To who? To all. To all who call upon him. For whoever, it says, will do what? Whoever calls upon the name of the Lord. Let's read that together. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You could be here today and the prayer of Jesus can be answered in your life. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. And again, it doesn't mean that they didn't know what they were doing, just like you can be here today and you know that you're in sin. You know because you have a conscience. You know that before God, you're not doing the things that are pleasing to him. You're living in rebellion to the word of God. You know that if you were to die today, that you'd spend eternity in hell because you've never received the forgiveness of your sin. You've never opened your heart to him. The prayer of Jesus includes you. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Because one day, it's appointed a man to die and then face judgment. And in that day, we'll all know, we'll all know that it was real. That Jesus was real, that heaven is real, that hell is real, redemption is real. I can't think of a better day to come to the Lord than today. To know that it was for this purpose he came into the world. Not to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. You could be saved today by believing in your heart, professing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. May that just resonate with each and every one of us. His second statement from the cross, like I said, was to the, the criminal, the thief that was there beside him. Again, you can read that in Luke 23, 39 through 41, verse 42, he tells him, he says, then Jesus says to him, he says, you know, or he says to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. So this thief had come to the conclusion. He's, he's heard about Jesus, obviously, and he's, and he's watched him. He's watched him on the cross itself. He's seen what great love that he is displaying, praying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Most people in Jesus' day had witnessed a crucifixion because it was done in public. It was done on the roadside. It was done for all the world to see. It wasn't done in a private place. And they would hear them crying out. They would hear the the people reviling, cussing, you know, uh, as it were, spitting back, you know, on those that would would, uh, render judgment upon their life. And then here's Jesus, like a lamb that's led to the slaughter. Not saying a word. He who knew no sin, the Bible says, became sin for us. That in him, in him, that we could become the righteousness of God. The Holy Spirit was working in that moment. And this thief came to that realization. You know, he didn't get baptized. He didn't repent the way that some say, and he he didn't knock on anybody's door. He didn't attend a church service. You know, he didn't give any money to the church. He didn't sign up for a ministry. He was found guilty of his sin, and he was dying for it. Some would call that, you know, oh, that's a, a deathbed confession. Are those acceptable to God? Well... Let the cross speak for itself. Let Jesus, our Lord and Savior, the one who purchased your salvation and mine and his, speak for itself. What does he say? Verse 43, he said, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. No sinner in the history of mankind has been given more clear assurance of their salvation than to hear it from the mouth of Jesus. That thief That day. Faith, that's all that the Lord has asked for. That's all that He could do to merit His salvation. It's all that you and I could do as well. Trading places, the just for the unjust. The third statement from the cross comes as Jesus is dying there. And we see His love and we see His compassion. We see that for Mary, His mother. I mean, you think about the pain that she's experiencing watching her son die, agonizing over his life. You think about, you know, what she is going through. Luke chapter 2, verses 34 and 35, you remember at Jesus' birth, his parents take him to the temple to be dedicated. And there's a, a man, a devout man of God, Simeon who takes Jesus and and he blesses him. It says in verse 34 of Luke 2, it says, Then Simeon blessed them, uh, Mary and Joseph, and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign which we've spoken against. Yes, a sword will pierce through your own soul also, and the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. This was a prophecy of Mary's pain, the suffering that she would have to endure. She stood there at the foot of the cross. Jesus knows full well what she's going through. Jesus knows full well what he's experiencing there at the cross. She's grieving over him. And it leads to the third statement. John records it in John chapter 19, verse 25 through 27. It says, now there stood by the cross of Jesus' his mother and his mother's sisters, Mary, the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved, which would be John standing by, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. You think about that. What is, he, what is Jesus doing? He's there on the cross. He's being crucified. You're thinking about here's someone who's suffering, who's going through tremendous pain. Is he thinking about himself? Is he worried about how he feels? No, he, he has a care and a concern and a love for those that he has responsibility for, which includes me and you. It's why it's important to study the cross. It's why Paul would say we preach the cross. This is the cross. Everything that surrounds the cross, not just is death, but everything will provide us peace and comfort and joy because we get to see the heart of God, the love of God that's revealed in this moment. And so here's Jesus looking out from that cross and you can imagine being nailed there and looking you know, at his mother. And saying, woman, behold your son. And then turning his head as it were and then looking at John and saying, son, behold your mother. What was he doing? He was transferring that care from himself to John. Say, Mary, in Jewish culture, the oldest son was responsible. You know, it's believed that Joseph obviously had passed away by this time. Jesus was the man of the house. And yet here he is going to the cross to purchase her salvation as well. And yet what is he doing in in loving care, as a a loving son for his mother? Mom, you're going to be cared for. Don't worry. All those things that we worry about and that we find, you know, uh, stress and strain in our life, God knows. That's why the Bible says, cast all your cares upon him. Why? Because he cares about you. Is there a greater picture Of love and care than the cross? No. What a beautiful statement. The fourth statement that we see, it's one, it's really a a mystery and meaning to us. In Matthew 27, it says this in verse 45. It says, now from the sixth hour until the ninth hour, there was darkness over all the land. We know that. That's when the father turned his back on the son. When Jesus bore the wrath of God. It should have been me, should have been you, but Jesus went to the cross in our place. And because God's just, he couldn't look upon his son. And so it says there, in about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's a fulfillment of Psalm 22.1, Messianic Psalm. It says, my God, my God, why have have you forsaken me? The prophet saw the Messiah hanging there and dying. And so what is Jesus saying when he when he echoes these words, when he speaks them from the cross, we're, we're not really completely 100% sure of its full meaning, but we understand you know, that he's dying as the substitute for sinners, the just for the unjust. Remember, he had never experienced broken fellowship with the Father up until this moment. That's why he was perspiring those blood drops in the Garden of Gethsemane, realizing this moment, not the suffering, not even the dying, but that the Father would turn his back on his own son. That he couldn't comprehend. That he had never known for all of eternity. And like I said, we we really can't understand really the depth of it, but here's God pouring out his divine wrath upon his son. One time, for one time only, thank God for this. Jesus feels forsaken. Jesus feels cut off. Why is the cross so powerful? Have you ever felt forsaken? Have you ever felt cut off? There's one who relates to you in a way that none of us could ever relate. See, we think of, you know, one or two people or maybe a handful of people who we feel cut off from. But Jesus is being cut off from the world. But more important, he's being cut off from his heavenly father. We can't, we can't fathom that, sense of despair that would be gripping his heart in that very moment there. The fifth statement that we see comes in John chapter 19, verse 28. And it says, and after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, he says, I thirst. And what do we see here? Is the humanity, you know, of Jesus. He, you know, he wasn't a phantom. He wasn't a ghost. He was a real human being. Remember, they had brought him earlier you know gall and uh, vinegar and it was mixed with you know substance to deaden the pain and jesus refused it because he wanted to experience and feel the full blunt of of what he was doing he didn't you know it wasn't one of those things where hey you know uh, i'm not going to feel the pain you know just you know let me let it be deadened to me no he experienced the fullness of the pain and the suffering that should have been on me and on you and he received that willingly but here after all that he's been through, he's dehydrated. And he's not done. And so they take, you know, almost mocking him, you know, bring a, a sponge, you know, to his mouth to wet his lips. And he says, I thirst. The sixth statement that he makes from the cross comes from that very moment in John 19.30. It says, so when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And in the Greek language, it's to tell testei, the And it means it is finished finished. It's done. It's over. I love what uh, pra- Pastor Greg Laurie wrote this morning. He said, the cross was the goal of Jesus from the beginning. His birth was so that it would be his death. The incarnation was for our atonement. He was born to die that we might live. And when he had accomplished the purpose he had come to fulfill, he summed it up with a single word, Finished. In the original Greek it was a common word, Jesus probably used it after he had finished a project that he and Joseph might have been working on together in the carpentry shop. Jesus might have turned to Joseph and said, finished, now let's go have lunch. It is finished, mission accomplished, it is done, it is made an end of. So what was finished, finished and completed were the horrendous sufferings of Christ. Never again would he experience the pain. The, at the hand of wicked men. Never again would he have to bear the sins of the world. Never again would he, even for a moment, be forsaken of God. That was completed. That was taken care of. Also finished was Satan's stronghold on humanity. Jesus came to deal a decisive blow against the devil and his demons and the, at the cross of Calvary. Hebrews 2.14 says that through death he might destroy him who had the power of death, that is the devil. This means that you no longer have to be under the power of sin. Because of Jesus' accomplishment at the cross, finished was the stronghold of Satan on humanity. And lastly, finished was our salvation. It is completed. It is done. All of our sins were transferred to Jesus when he hung on the cross. His righteousness was transferred to our account, so Jesus cried out the words, It is finished. It was God's deliberate and well thought out plan. It is finished. And he left it with this. So rejoice. Such a great word. Nothing left to accomplish. Jesus makes one final statement from the cross. We read there in Luke chapter 23, verse 46. And when Jesus cried out with a loud voice. Now, it's important that you get this because you would get this impression, you know, that in, in, unfortunately, like, we look at that Jesus was weak and that, you know, he was feeble, you know, and it was like he was, oh, just, you know, and no, it's not what we see from the cross. It says, and when Jesus had cried out, it says, what type of voice did he cry out with? says with a loud voice that's important when you think about the sovereignty of god that you think about the control of god you think about the omnipotence of god the power of god jesus said no one takes my life from me but what do i do i lay my life down that what i might take it up again this and it's important that you see it is one who is under control who is in control Nothing is happening to him that, again, he doesn't have the power to overcome. It says, and when Jesus cried out with a loud voice, he said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And having said this, it says, he breathed his last. Yeah, in one sense, we can say today that he was murdered at the hands of wicked men. But in another sense, we would say, No, he laid his life down, just as he said. We shared that Wednesday night in a little drama presentation, and Pastor Jason shared it in a message that Jesus said, you know, destroy this temple. He said, in three days, I will raise it up. They thought he was speaking of the temple. He was speaking of his own body. The power of God. And he made a promise that you and I can then rest in today as we celebrate communion together you don't have to fear death you don't have to fear judgment today we find forgiveness at the cross we find love at the cross we find compassion at the cross we find care at the cross we find control at the cross God is in control amen and the invitation is to come to him and remember that it was his body broken for us. It was his blood shed on Calvary's cross. Jesus then said it best. He said, I am the resurrection. We will see that three days from now. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And he who believes in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Our final enemy, death, the thing that everybody in some sense fears was conquered at the cross. It's what led to... The boldness of the disciples that we read about in the book of Acts, when they saw him again three days later, death couldn't hold him down. And if you place your hope and your trust in Jesus today, it's my pleasure to be able to remind you death can't hold you down. It can't hold me down. Because he lives, what? We live too. Amen? Amen. Let's celebrate uh, communion together. I'll invite uh, Larry to come back up and those that will pass out the elements of communion. will pass these out to you. And and while we're worshiping the Lord, it's an open time of communion. And uh, what we mean by that is you'll receive communion. You'll take it yourself. The way you would do that uh, according to scripture is you'll examine your own heart before God. Some of you might be here today going, you know, Pastor Mike, I I think I need to let the communion pass because I've got issues in my life. No, that's why we would receive communion today. Jesus said, I, I didn't come to call those that you know, were healthy. I came to call those that were sick. Those that you know, are not sinners don't need a savior. But if you recognize today that you have sin in your life, you recognize that, again, you need a savior, that was the purpose of communion to begin with. It was his body broken for us. It was his blood shed for us. That's how we know that we're forgiven, that Christ went to the cross and he died in our place. So today we're all candidates to receive communion, to remember. And not take it lightly, but to be reminded that with loving kindness, he's drawn us. With this moment in mind, the cross, where Jesus would die for me and for you, for the sins of the world. And like I said, if you've never opened your heart to Jesus, I can't think of a better time to say, Lord, remember me when you come in your kingdom. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you. I recognize I'm a sinner. I recognize you're a savior. And oh, what love I see from the cross. And I open my heart to you. For by grace, the Bible says you've been saved through faith and not of works, which any man can boast. It is the gift of God. Receive God's gift today. And for those of you that have, and just what a refreshing moment we get to enjoy. Being reminded, oh, what love the Father has loved us. That we, you and me, get to be called the sons and the daughters of God. Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you.